Welcome to the You're Not Invisible After 50 podcast. I'm Kiran Kumar, founder and host of You're Not Invisible After 50. Despite the title, you don't have to be over 50 to listen to this podcast. No matter whether you're 25, 45 or 65, we can all learn lessons from each other to help us build a better, more fulfilled life. Come listen to the inspiring stories of all the phenomenal women over 50 who are kicking ass and making an impact. They are not invisible. I'm not invisible and neither are you. So no matter what society says, life doesn't end at 50. In fact, it's just beginning. Welcome to the You Are Not Invisible After 50 podcast. I'm Kieran and host of this podcast. We're all about showcasing phenomenal women over 50 who are kicking ass and making an impact. You get to hear all the inspiring stories why you don't have to be invisible after 50. So sit back and enjoy the wonderful life story from this week's guest. And my guest today is the one and only Joe Good, the middle-aged minx. Hi, Joe. Hi, I'm so excited. And I think we need to explain to people there may be some glitches in the sound because for some reason my internet is playing up. And I've just I've just blamed the cold weather, which is ridiculous, isn't it? But I, I you know, I can only think something outside is freezing the cables. That's all I can say. That's fine, not an issue. Um, so thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, thank you for choosing to come on to the You're Not Invisible After 50 podcast. I'm going to get you to introduce yourself, first of all, to our listeners in one line or more of who you are. I am someone who has reinvented myself over 68 years, from an actress to a broadcaster to a YouTuber and content creator. Wow. And we're going to talk all about that going forward. In this podcast, we'll cover your life story, the past, the present, and whether there was a trigger point um, at 50. Um, So where would you like to start in the past? I think my journey is um, I was always a show off. I have a very introvert brother. And as as I've reached the age I'm at, I realized he became more introvert as I became more extrovert. And I was allowed to be extrovert in my family I was a very pretty blonde um dancing child I mean there you see them I spot them everywhere and um you know and it was literally get up on the table and perform and I would and I loved it and um so it was quite natural that I was going to end up in a in a career where I could show off and earn Mm -hmm. applause I was never, as people will realise who follow me, and as you, if you've never heard of me before throughout this interview, you'll realise I was never very academic, um, not that intelligent, but very sharp. Mm. And um, it was that sharpness, I think, that um, helped me to keep going and not to stagnate. Because often actors, and I know many, um, And in fact, geographically, I did that. I went down to Brighton as an actress and met loads and loads of other actors down there living the life, Mm -hmm. um, but beginning to stagnate. Now, there are lots of people in Brighton who are going to go, well, what an insult. But they all have great lives. But I just thought I need to get out of that, get back into the city and push my journey forward. So let's talk about, let's just kind of go back in terms of 
your childhood and then moving into acting how did that kind of transpire itself how did it come about I think um so I, I was a child dancer I worked a lot um in court worked I mean I was chorus in local pantomimes I did child modeling um so it was I, I was always I was never going to take an academic route I went to a very um academic school because I got in and this is a really important I got got in through the gift of the gab and I've actually never said that before um because I grew up in Australia so I came over missed the 11 plus took the 13 plus okay. for a very Horsham high school for girls very academic and um the 13 plus I basically had an interview with all these very intelligent teachers who all wore gowns and mortarboards I mean we're talking about the end of the 60s and and I talked myself into this school and I literally drowned in it. I mean, and and I hated it because I just, I, I knew I'd never get A-levels. I scraped through enough O-levels to get me into drama school. And then I left um, before taking my A-levels. And there was this desk in the hall with Joanne Good's name on and no Joanne Good. I didn't even have the notes to study from because I'd been such a bad pupil. Um, mm-hmm. But I got into a top london drama school so i just thought well that's fine i will just take six months off au pair in france and then go to drama school in london so yeah that's what i did and one of my great failures i suppose um was the fact that i did so badly at school academically do you regret that those gaps in my life because i i people assume i'm a journalist and I do have journalistic skills because I've worked in a newsroom for 25 years. I I don't have the academic qualifications. I'm working with the brightest people in society, you know, at the BBC. They're so sharp and intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have to really, I, yeah, I do. I suppose this famous imposter syndrome I do have in the newsroom. But I, again, I say I'm very sharp so I can get round it in other ways. And you've done that exceptionally well. So let's talk about so how your drama school and then breaking into acting. So when did that kind of breakthrough come? What was the first job that you got? And how did that kind of come around? Well, for my generation at drama school, you had to have an equity card um, to get any work. So the main challenge was to get an equity card. You couldn't work without it. Now it's an open shop, but it, it was a, you know, a closed union and you couldn't work without it. So you'd go to a children's theatre company or a rep company and get your 40 weeks on your equity card, which is what I did. I ended up going to a children's theatre company in Yorkshire. I played a broccoli leaf. I played Brenda Broccoli for um, 40 (laughs) weeks, got my equity card, came back to London and then went into uh, this is like I went into a, a soap opera, which at the time was hugely successful but was also ridiculed and and for every good reason. It was called Crossroads and it had 25 million viewers a night. You know, nowadays Strictly doesn't get anywhere near there. Neither does, there's no television program that gets 25 um, million a night. And that's what we had. It was hugely successful, but it was also, it was a double-edged sword. It it gave me a lot. Financially, it gave me a lot status it gave me a lot until I left and then the proper acting world just wouldn't take you seriously I mean nowadays if you're in EastEnders or Emma people don't care but in those days it was oh my god she's in crossroads you know so it it was almost like danger money 
Um, but we, all of us who were in it, and I ended up in it, having an affair out of it with, with the character I was having an affair in it. So we became this, this, this tabloid sensation that I was having an affair with a married man in the program and I was having an affair with him out of it. Okay. Um, and I, I myself was married at the time. I'd married very young, I married an actor. Um, and so it was quite scandalous. So uh -huh. you can imagine at, at the time, um, if you think you had that that many viewers, it became, it, it was quite a scare. I mean, I look back at it now and I just laugh. Uh -huh. I just laugh because, you know, actors, uh, actors often, <laughs> in those days, the morals of actors, <laughs> you know, were completely different to how they are now. That's how I will put it. Okay, there's, there's so much to read into that, but I don't know which way to read that. That's quite interesting statement to make. And it's I just don't want to offend actors of today because they'll go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Okay, so from the acting, so you came out of Crossroads and then what? how would did you transition into broadcasting? Um, it was so it it was an interesting time that actually, because um, when you talk about the benchmark of 50, I was in my 40s. Or I'm late thirties and forties, I suppose. Where I, you know, I was doing lots of light entertainment at the BBC, playing Dolly Birds, um, and being. I was in Only Fools and Horses. I was in the Dave Allen Show, playing, you know, um, empty-headed blondes, and earning a good living from it. I loved it, um, and I had no, you know, that people say, God, it was was it degrading? No, absolutely loved it. Um, and then. I started, I had, um, my dad died. My dad died um, when I was in my early 40s. And it, he worshipped me and me, him. And it sent me sort of spiralling mm -hmm. into, now I look back on it. Now, this is really interesting. Now I look back on it, it was depression. So I ended up with an eating disorder and moving. And I, at the same time, I moved to Brighton. And it was as though I wanted to get myself away from London to hide down in Brighton because Brighton is the end of the line, mm -hmm. uh, literally the end of the line. So I went to Brighton because I had um, acting friends living there at the time and I used to visit them a lot. Also property was much, much cheaper than London. So I thought I'm gonna sell my London flat that I'd got from the um, proceeds of being in Crossroads and bought a beautiful flat, much bigger flat in Brighton. And um, I was there and that was actually when my dad died um he died in 87 1987 so what was I then um 32 was I 32 something like that mm -hmm. um and um and I this eating disorder really kicked in and and it's only since your generations and other generations have even started to discuss anorexia mm -hmm. um that it's that it was depression. I'd never thought it was depression. I just thought I'd gone a bit crazy. But when I look back on it, it's a, it's, it is a form of depression. And um, and my acting work really did dry up because of the way I looked, because mm -hmm. I, you know, I was so thin and emaciated looking. And I remember my agent saying to me, Joe, you've got to pull yourself together because, um, you know, we can't put you up for any for any work. But the BBC in Brighton, they would have me come in as a celebrity to do their paper reviews for the local BBC. And because I'm quite opinionated and I'm quite gobby, 
they then gave me, it sounds so simplistic, but they actually gave me the breakfast show in Brighton. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of the happiest, happiest times of my life because it was an award-winning breakfast show in Brighton, which is a gossipy, gossipy town. (laughs) I loved it. And I started to get really well. And... um, because I felt, gosh, I really earned my place here, um, sitting behind a microphone, just talking about Brighton, which I loved, and um, and then talking about Brighton news. That's when I started, to, I suppose, to train as a journalist, um, because I was doing news stories from Brighton, Brighton politics, the whole lot on a breakfast show, and I did it for a long time. And, um, and I was doing acting work at the same time, but it was less important. It had to be a good job for me to get on that train up to London and audition or even do it because I was, I was enjoying my life in Brighton, you know, as the breakfast show presenter. Fabulous. I mean, first of all, just to say that, you know, in terms of, you know, losing your parent, I mean, I know how that feels because I've lost both my parents and it takes you down very dark path it's you know you reach the abyss as you did you know and I've been there as well um crawling back up is really hard work um but you realize after some time and looking back at it that you have to do that work to come back I mean the grief is always going to be with you so well done you I would say and also the fact that you were very happy where you found the thing that made you happy I was so lucky. Lauren McCall said, in her autobiography, Lauren McCall said, you grow up, you finally grow up when you lose your parents. And it's so true. You know, the people that would forgive you for everything have gone. Um, You're on your own. And And you do actually feel a lot on your own, actually. You feel that huge, momental loss. It's, It's... you would never, you know, you have arguments with your parents, you know, you've said these horrible things. Like if you're growing up, I hate you, blah, 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 all of that stuff. And then suddenly when they go, you go, oh, my God, it's a huge black void in your life. And no one can ever fill that back up. Um, but let's move on. Um, that is quite sad. So let's move on. So so you went into broadcasting um, and then from there you moved into you moved to London again, didn't you? Yes, I am. Um, so this is interesting because I I was determined. I the show had done as well as it could, and we had. I think they said one in every three people living in Brighton listened to my breakfast show. That is a huge, huge population of listeners, and I was, you know, I loved it. But I loved BBC London. BBC London. When I was driving around the M25, I'd listen to it. And people like Danny Baker, Vanessa Feltz, Robert Elms, these are are brilliant broadcasters. And I just thought I would love to be on that station because it was so exciting, um, so groovy. And I wrote to the editor um, to ask if I could come on. And he said, look, we we have no, literally no um, vacancies at the moment. I mean, it's, it's a very small world, radio broadcasting, and people seldom leave their jobs unless they're removed. And then Julie Birchall, who has is now a friend of mine, actually, wrote in The Guardian a piece about she lived in Brighton. And she said, there are two good reasons to live in Brighton. One is the sea and the second is Joe Good's radio show on BBC Brighton. And I cut it out of The Guardian. I photocopied it and I sent it to this editor in London. And I said, look, you know, 
she rates me. You could put me on your station and I would bring with me a massive audience because this was pre-digital, by the way, pre-digital. Mm-hmm. I said I could bring all that audience who still can hear you because of the wavelength. Lots You could hear BBC London and Brighton. I'll bring them with me and increase your listenership. And um, he, it's a very interesting story, this. I was in pantomime. I used to do the pantomime in Brighton, the big professional pantomime, because I was a radio presenter. So, you know, they would always employ the local radio presenter because you talk about it on air and fill the house. So I was playing fairy and I was sitting in my dressing room um, and I would do my breakfast show and then I would run down and do two pantomime performances at the Brighton Theatre Royal. So I was knackered. Um, but I got this text from my editor at BBC London, who said, okay, I'm offering you the graveyard shift, basically, <laughs> you know, which is not awful. It's 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., um, literally nocturnal. Um, and it's up to you if you want it. And I text back and I said, hold on, I'm giving up a breakfast show to work uh-huh. on the graveyard shift. Um, and he went, and it was so clever. I've talked about this. He said, the door's open. You either walk through it or close it. And so I just thought, okay, I'll go. So I left uh, BBC Brighton and um, went up and started to do the graveyard shift, still living in Brighton. So I was commuting up and down in my dad's old triumph acclaim, Um, you know, breaking down constantly on the A24. But yeah, I took the graveyard shift and then to cut a long story short, Danny Baker won a Sony award and resigned from his true Danny Baker style, resigned on the same day. And the editor said, Joe, can you go in now and do the breakfast show? And I went, what? To stand in for Danny Baker, you know, the most famous uh, jock there is. And he said, yes. And so I thought, right, okay, do it. So I did it. And that was probably one of the most terrifying days of my life. But it's also exceptionally exciting because I'm just thinking as you were talking, Progress doesn't always come in straight lines, right? Progress comes in all like a curved paths and whatever, and you end up somewhere new and and wonderful and things that you wouldn't imagine. So the fact that, you know, you close the door on one and open another door, actually open a huge big window for something totally different. And the thing that you actually originally wanted, but it just came a roundabout way and I think that's just fabulous I think that's that's just life right I think yeah is it you're absolutely right it came in such a roundabout way I mean for all I knew I could have been sitting on that graveyard shift for three years aging rapidly but I actually was only there for a couple of weeks before I actually did I got the breakfast show it was my breakfast show from Danny Baker and I think I I had that breakfast show for five six years um, and and absolutely loved it, loved it. Um, and you're still on radio, yeah. I'm still on radio, but this is one of the things I really want to talk about um, on your podcast is, you know, you can't ever play victim. You should never play victim because I'm a pawn in the BBC's game and we're all the, all the presenters are just, we're just pawns on a chessboard and they will move you around and you are at their mercy. It is as simple as that. It is nothing to do with popularity. It's nothing to do with finance because they're not a commercial station. They don't have to say, look, this person's hugely popular. They're making us a lot of money. They have to tick so many boxes for other reasons. Um, And 
you know, we all know that as presenters. We know that we can be moved wherever they feel. And it can be, which has happened to me, it's happened to me, you know, um, at the BBC. And you either say, okay, yeah, I'll take the crumbs off the table. Or you say, no, I'm out. You know, I'm off. It depends how you play it. I think it's, I think that's also the game for a lot of organisations. I mean, I've worked in commercial organisations and it's a game for everyone. If, you know, people move you around, people throw you out, people take you on, people, you know, sh- shift you around. It happens with all major organisations. And it's quite, I think where you and I are now is doing our own thing, et cetera, gives us a lot more kind of um, stability and, you know, freedom because you can do all of what you want to do your own way. And that actually brings us to the present. So let's talk about you've gone from broadcasting to whatever you're doing, social media. And let's talk about that, the, the work that you're doing currently. So that, so that, so it's really important that because um, it's taking control and, um, and going back to my eating disorder, which is very much, I am a control freak and that you know is is trying to take total control and as an actress I had no control I was literally at the mercy of my agent at the BBC I have no control I have a huge audience who will follow me and have followed me from all the radio stations I've worked on but it doesn't matter as I've just said and like you've just said you are at the mercy of the decisions of those above you Mm -hmm. so what I love now is on social media I have absolute control of what I put out there, on how I receive the trolling. I have, you know, I we can talk about trolling till the cows come home, you know. But but and the trolls, unfortunately, are women. This is women out to get women, which is appalling. As though our lives haven't actually we've struggled been hard enough. For women, and men don't do it. Men do not troll other women. It's women do it. And um, so that's part of the game. So that's one of the things we could talk about. The other thing is, yes, it's my YouTube channel my and my Instagram is something that I, every single thing you watch, I've put in, I've decided in what order it goes in, when it goes out. And, oh, my gosh, for the first time ever, you know, I, and I think that's why, so many people start YouTube channels and Instagram because you're just, you know, you're not at the whim of an employer. You are literally controlling how you want to be perceived. Absolutely. And it's really quite interesting because I've kind of, I'm on social media because of what I'm doing, the podcast. I'm actually launching, um, you know, or by the time this goes out, I would have already launched um, my personal Instagram, which is a huge step forward, the face behind whatever I do. And it's quite interesting because what I've seen with all the women that I interview, how they've progressed and how they have grown on social media and the opportunities that come your way through being out there. And also, as as we've been saying, Joe, you know, the control that you have, you can put out what you want. You can say what you feel. Uh, you can also delete the people who you don't like because you just like the switch off button, you know, get rid of them. You don't need to have them. You don't need to hear them. There's, as you said, we've all been through our own struggles in our work, our business, our lives, 
Why do we need to put up with it anymore? I love that delete button. I think it's great. Um, you know, you've got the people who follow you and support you go with that. But the fact is you feel so kind of empowered by the control that you have for the first time, probably in your life. Absolutely. And back me up on this. I mean, it's it's so easy to dismiss social media. And I did it for many years. I, you know, I just thought, oh, what is this? What, you know, a like, a thumbs up, what a pointless, you know, banal way. But those who do it well, oh my gosh, it is such a talent. It's a real talent. Because you can see the people that do it badly. You know, you just think, why do I want to do that? But people who view life, and I think it's really clever now when people say, oh God, everyone's walking around with phones and cameras and everything. I actually think we're all looking at life through new lenses. You know, when they use the term, oh, that's very Instagrammable, don't use that as a put down. It means you're actually revaluing something that you will have walked past before or not thought about before. I honestly think it's making us or helping us to look at life literally through a new lens. And I don't think we should dismiss it. I really don't. I know, you know, it all forms of, of media is abused and it will be and exploited. But but I love the fact it's for the people, that people can do it. And if the people become successful at it, it's because of their talent, not because of some management company or whatever. It's their talent. It's, it's basically as raw as that. You know, you Absolutely. put yourself out there and you see whether you can rise above it or sink below it. Well, I mean, the thing is, even if you're just putting it out for your pleasure, I mean, like, I, you know, as I said, that, you know, I'm going out on social media as the person behind what I do. And I think that for me, that's taken a long, it's taken me about a year because this is my podcast been going for over a year now. And people say to me, Kieran, you should be in front of the camera as well, not just showcasing other women, but which is great but you should also be there showcasing yourself or who you are. And I think that's a really important point. And I've learned so much during this time in terms of how to handle social media, which is a good learning curve. Um, so hopefully that will apply in my personal, personal one. And I just think, yeah, let's just see how that goes. But if you don't put yourself out there, you're not going to be seen. You're not going to be heard. You're not going to capture that moment. You're not going to you know, give your insight. You're not going to leave a mark on the world. And I just think whatever mark that may be, you have the opportunity to do it in this way. So, and congratulations to you. I think you're absolutely right. And and I, you know, this interview, you are really good at what you do. And what what people will want is to know a bit more about the person behind the questioner. So you're absolutely right to offer them something something more. But I do think to go back, you know, to the title of this podcast is... When I was younger, to be to be criticised and trolled and negative comments would have destroyed me. But I don't know about you. It's like just delete, delete. It's, you know, you just think, oh, well, there you go. You're obviously embittered or you're jealous or you're whatever. You're dealing with stuff. I'll just delete you. It's not going to dent my ego at no. all. Yeah. You're done. 20 years ago, I probably would have stayed in bed for a day. <laughs> That's quite true. I mean, I think you still stay in bed because, you know, sometimes you don't get women supporting women, um, uh, even in what I do at the moment. And I think I don't get that. I don't understand it. It doesn't, it's beyond my kind of thinking process. But, you know, um, I just feel that, yes, you know, support other women, encourage them, be on the same side. 
and let's all, I mean, it's idealistic, I know, but let's lift everybody up and it should be real, right? And um, yeah. that's what it should be all about. But it's interesting what you're saying about the name of the podcast. I mean, that brings me to a trigger point. Was there a trigger point in your life at 50? Was there one at all? You see, I tend, it's interesting this, because it's only when I sit down and talk to someone like you, I think of my life in chapters and I think of all these um sliding door moments or, or you know um change in direction I um at 50 I was very lucky because that's when I'd come back into London and it was all happening for me I if we talk physically about stuff I had um a late menopause so I think my menopause was at 58 I think it mm-hmm. was which is very late that is my mother's but when I look back at my behaviour leading up, and I am one of these people who who said I just sailed through my menopause. You know, I don't know what all this is about, all this yam and HRT and, you know, I just sailed through it. But, Kieran, if I, if I look back at my behaviour, I actually think I was behaving in a very strange, very strange way. Um, personally, personally more than, than career. So the career was doing really, really well. Um, but personally, I think I don't. I think I had a sort of final um, thrust of hormones that made me become so. So I have never ever wanted children, and that's a whole different topic. And it's but it's also I, I was thinking about your podcast, and I was thinking it's a very important part of where why I'm where I am. I've never mm-hmm. had to take on the responsibility, which I'm now having to do with my mother, but I never had to do it with children. So I could just sail on through I didn't have to worry about anything um so yeah so I've never and I never at 50 or 60 or even at 70 I know will never have thought god should I've had them have I made a massive mistake never I have nothing but admiration because how the hell you remain sane and you have any sense of career I truly believe this because I've worked with producers who are so talented and forgive me this is not a very feminist thing that I'm going to say are so talented go off have their kids come back and it's like they in fact one I remember was producing me and with tears running down her face and she went I don't know what I am I don't I I I, I hate not being with my baby and I you know I just feel like I'm not giving you and I just said you should be with your baby you shouldn't mm-hmm. be sitting here trying to produce me on a six o'clock in the morning you know it's like but she, she's so, and she's out there. She's you know, a really good, well-known producer at the BBC. She got through it. How the hell she got through it. And I've seen it so many times. Um, and I never had that. I just, it was my world, according to me. You know, I did what I wanted to do. Um, but to go back to the physical thing at 50, um, and again, I've never talked about this before. I just became... I was not sex obsessed at all. Not I've, I've just never been that sort of person. But I was having relationship after relationship at 50, you know, after relationship. So I'd gone through the anorexic sort of, um, you know, sparse years to suddenly at 50, probably my hormones had kicked in. Um, and this was like, this is your final curtain call before the show's over, basically. And so I had a really good 
run of crazy relationships, crazy relationships. And that's how I think of my 50s. It was must have been a hormonal surge. <laughs> I'm just laughing. <laughs> and I mean, I just can't think of anything worse than actually getting into bed with anyone. I just, I love the fact that I have my bed to myself. I love the fact that I, the fact I come home to this flat and all I have is a bulldog. I don't have to speak to anybody. <clears throat> but, you know, I think that at 50, I don't know what happened to me. I'm sure it was the fact my hormones just thought this is your final hour. Because, because I truly have never thought about it. But that's exactly, I had this wonderful, you know, relationship, relationship, relationship. And career was going right, going fine. It was going really well. It was physically that I started to to behave differently, you know, just for a short spell. And then I settled into celibacy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic note before we go into our commercial break. (laughs) We're now going to go to our commercial break. And when we're back, we'll talk about what the future looks like and also the bonus part of the podcast. Did you know that You Are Not Invisible After 50 is not just about a highly acclaimed global podcast. Our mission is to empower all women, regardless of colour, creed, class and culture across all countries and continents. So we have two empowering courses for you. A high return one hour masterclass, building a life you love, creating your own path after 50. This transformative masterclass is one you've been waiting for. Are you ready to see its life after 50 like never before? Well, say goodbye to feeling stuck and say hello to the life you love. Don't let age define your limits. Let it ignite your possibilities. This transformative masterclass is your ticket to a vibrant and fulfilling future. But that's not all. We also have our innovative introductory business course, Greater Gold. In today's dynamic business world, age should never be a barrier to success. Say goodbye to age-related stereotypes and hello to unstoppable success. Our half-a-day course will equip you with the skills and confidence you need to conquer the business world. Discover the true value of your experience, reinvent yourself, stay competitive, and master the art of self-presentation. It's time to turn your grey into gold. Visit our website and check out our courses geared to propel you to the next level. So embrace your age, utilize your wisdom, experience, and own your success. Spots are limited. Also, we have wonderful products launching this year. So keep a watch on our social media posts and website, www.youarenotinvisibleafter50.com. You can also find out more about the woman behind You Are Not Invisible After 50. Details are available on my website, www.iamkirinkumar.com or my Instagram account at iamkirinkumar13. We look forward to you connecting with us. Thank you. So, Joan, let's move on and talk about the future. So what's on the horizon? What's happening going forward? Well, um, so I'm really lucky that my show now, um, I'm uh, having criticised the BBC saying I've been moved around like a pawn on a chessboard, um, it's actually played out very nicely for me because I now have two networked shows. So my two shows go all over the country, which is just what I wanted because it frees me up for the rest of the week 
um, to do all my social media and, and I, I work on Sheer Lux, which is an online ladies magazine. I do their mm-hmm. gold show for women. Um, and I do loads of other, loads of other things. And I, when I was doing a show every night on the BBC, I was so tired. Um, and I ended up, I thought I was going to have nothing because they moved everyone around um, local radios going through so many changes. And I just thought, okay, this is probably going to be it. My contract was up. I thought this is probably it. And um, that will be the end of my time at the BBC. And then they offered me two network or national radio shows on Friday and Saturday night. So that I am so excited about. I've just started them and I love it because I love doing a phone in. I love talking to listeners and you get, you know, calls from all over the country, accents I haven't heard, you know, and I'm like, I'm really attentive thinking I can't patronize. I can't say, sorry, what did you say? So my ears are becoming attuned to all these. I mean, only in this country would you get, you know, just up the M1, everyone's accent changes. It's, uh-huh. um, I just love it. So that's, I'm really looking forward to doing more of that. Um, as far as my social media is concerned, my YouTube channel is doing really well. It takes, oh my gosh, you can't take your foot off the, the pedal, you know? Um, I hope, I do, I always put out one YouTube vlog on a Sunday. And I hope now that I've got more time, I can start to put out two a week. And if you put out two a week, you then do start to build. My ambition is to get to 100,000 because then I'll have a silk, on this wall, Kieran, this wall that has Mick Jagger on behind me and a collage of myself. This is a literally a collage of myself. How um, vain is that? I would love a silver button from um, YouTube saying I've made 100,000 subscribers. Wow. I, would, I would love it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my intention to get to a hundred thousand on Instagram and on um, YouTube, but it's slow and steady. I always think it's like you know when they say if you want to lose weight, lose it slowly and it'll stay off. And I always think if you want to build your subscribers, build it slowly and they'll stay with you, which they do. They stay, yeah. but it's taken so long. It does. It's it's a lot of hard work. It's actually quite interesting that you know a lot of the. A lot of the women that well no recently on the podcast we've had a lot of influencers on who um when you look at their work it's constant it's 24 7 it's going at it all the time and it is that sheer hard work and I also know currently that it's a lot of work but Mike you know the work is going to increase but there's so much pleasure from it as well because you as we've said already we have creative control on what we're doing we have control on putting it out we have control to say what we want to say etc etc and I think that is the beauty of social media um people talk all about the negativity but we need to flip that switch as well there is so much good out there and if we're all come with that intention then things will change we'll go wow social media definitely go on it it's worth it kind of thing it's a great plug. Totally agree. Totally agree. So um, anything else that's going on in the future before we go into the bonus part of the podcast? So, so um, yes, yeah, so build my social media. 
um, doing a national radio show, which is really good. I have, and I can't talk too much about it. Oh, God, I hate people that say that, but I have collaborations with brands, with really good brands um, that I started to work with. Now, this is so interesting. You know, these are fashion brands and beauty brands. I am 68 and they are using me as an ambassador. Now, it blows my mind because my mother at 68 would never have been asked to promote a fashion, you know, a very luxury fashion brand or indeed moisturizers or serums or whatever. It would never have happened. And I just think, oh my gosh, aren't we lucky? You know, we are the trailblazers. And, but the women have done it before us, those people who've made it so much easier. And it was, you know, an example of this is, I work with really young people. My team at the BBC are so young, they could be my grandchildren. And they genuinely, and I really do think this, they don't see me as some old biddy sitting there in the studio. They literally see, I go out with them, they come out with me, they come around here. And I think their parents have done such a good job, like your kids, mm. Your kids probably won't see an age gap, you know, yeah. and I just, it's your generation, you've done a bloody good job. And these kids, they are kids, but they just, they don't see a 68 year old. I don't think, I may be deluded, but I don't think they do. Well, congratulations for all that. But I think the tide is turning. And I think also all of the women who are out there on social media, who are influencers, who are over 50, are making an impact and all of them are earning great money from great collaborations and people are taking them seriously there's beauty in aging we're all going to age you know and I think our thinking is different because it's interesting because when we're younger we don't really think about how we're going to be when we're older and as you get older and you get into that phase you think well here I am this is a bit of you know, a surprise. Um, how do I deal with this? How how do I manage myself? I took I started my podcast at 57. You know, I never thought of me, you know, an Indian woman at 57 doing a podcast on you're not invisible after 50. But the fact is that we are thinking outside the box, and that's what it's all about. And all these trailblazers, which we're amongst, are carving the path for all the people who are coming up behind us and if there's many of us whereas now there's not a few of us there's a lot of us and I think that's a really good place to be you're you're absolutely right and one of the loveliest things is um the camaraderie around women our age you know when you're younger you're often quite territorial especially in a cutthroat business like social media you think god this is my area I don't want anyone else to take anything that I've achieved when I I mean I you know I work for Hobbs and the, the women that work for Hobbs they had a Christmas party all of us it the camaraderie no one sees anyone else as competition you know if they love a post you put up or a video that Hobbs are everyone's you know applauding each other going oh my god you look amazing I love your hair how did you do that when when forgive me but when I was younger that would never have been the case people would have got so competitive but you know like-minded women I think it's I love the company of women I love the company of women because they are I think so generous to each other I hate sisterhood is ridiculous but I do think there is a real kindness and you know affection for one another I really think that it's a lovely place to be in a group I think, of women I think if you find your people 
that's great and I think but there's also there is I think competition exists regardless of age you know people still think it's terror things areas can be territorial and um I'm not you know I just think that women should just be generous to other women and be kind and that's as simple as as it gets really it's it's not anything more complicated than that really um so let's talk about the bonus part of the podcast right so what are the five tips that you'd give to anyone who's under 50 we're talking about women not men under 50 this is yeah women women under 50 yes yes Um, and i think it's an important point um you know, uh, I to, to become a little bit controversial, um, the BBC insists that I call when actors actresses come on and I interview them. They insist that I call them actors, and I go, no, 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 sorry, they're actresses. The journey of an actress at my age was so different to the journey of an actor at my age. Maybe now, young actors and actresses is all the same, but it was a very different journey. Um, that's why I asked, you know, are these five, are these bonuses for women only. So I would first, and I always say this, I always say, if I had a, if I'd had a female baby, I would have had stamped on her head from the moment she bounced out of that womb. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, you know, all the time when people think, oh gosh, um, they're going to do me a good deed or they're going to help me or something there is always a consequence. So do it yourself. Do not ride on the back of others. I've No one has given me anything I have earned. They've given me an opportunity, yeah. like my editor saying, you know, but, you know, riding on the back of the others, as I say, there is an, it will come back to bite you. So do it yourself. Do it through your own integrity. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, I would always, you see, I've never, until I've sat down with you, ever looked back. I always think look forward, just look forward, look forward, you know? They say in radio, you're only as good as your last radio show. And I think in life, you're only as good as yesterday. So just now move forward, forget that, forget all the stuff that you come from. It's just onwards, onwards all the time. Only when you get to this age do you sit and do a podcast and look backwards. Just look forwards. That's what I would say. The other thing is laugh. My, this sounds so saccharine, but my face is a mass of laugh lines because I have just laughed through life. And one of the things I did as an actor, as an actress, having said that, as an actress, is if you do everything with a smile, every role with a smile, behind the microphone, I speak with a smile, people move towards you. They mm-hmm. literally physically move towards you. So just do it all with a smile. A smile is so powerful. If someone goes for you, tells you off, says something vicious, look at them and smile. It oh, that's a hard one to do. <laughs> It just pulls, you know, the rug from under them. Um, and again, and I'm sure so many, I'm, I'm really sure that so many women would have said this to you. And it, again, it sounds like you know one of these awful manifestation books, which I loathe, by the way. But this whole thing about kindness, it's that you get back, you get it back threefold. Yeah. Um, and it's just that whole thing about if you're kind to people, it means you're also kind to yourself because it's a lovely feeling to be kind to someone. Mm-hmm. And they say everything we do, 
ourselves and I'm quite sure how altruistic are we we probably do everything for ourselves but it spreads is one kindness you know just because I find myself getting very ratty as I get older and you know people that are in shops making me queue and I can get and I just think stop it you know look at what they're having to deal with they're having to deal with the bloody public so just be a bit kind mm. and then finally I say and this is you know this and I cannot <clears throat> say this strongly enough is please celebrate your parents mm. you know I what you said and it made me very emotional right at the top of this you think of what you you know I think of what I said to my parents like you've destroyed my life I remember shouting that you know and my mum now is 99 and she has dementia and she doesn't even know who I am but I know that for the past I don't know how many years we've had such a great time together you know I used to take her to all the West End shows she would see me she never she didn't really care what I did she was never boastful about what I did or anything she just loved me as a companion yeah. we got on so well and I look back and I think no regrets you know, I see her now, she doesn't know who I am, but I know we've had the best possible time. And I wish I'd made more of that with my dad who died when I was very young, you know? I loved him so much, but I never told him. I never, because our generation never did. You just never did. I still, to this day, have never said to my mother, I love you, because she was, you know, she was a Second World War baby. They just didn't speak like that. Mm. Um, so that, and then my final thing, is look after your teeth. I have, because of my eating disorder, I have a mouthful of beautiful teeth, but very few of them are my own. <laughs> They're implants and veneers and everything else. And that's that was due to my life, my mental health, you know, and everything else. And I would just say, really, really look, I sound like, who's that poet that actually wrote a whole poem about take care of your teeth? But I really, it's so important. Yeah. It's so important. Joe, thank you for sharing that. Do they that. sound so, banal, Karen? No, not at all. And and very emotional actually about you know the parent one. I mean, I can I, you know totally feel that, and I just I don't talk too much about it because it just brings so many emotions. But thank you for sharing that. What tips would you give to anybody who's over fifty? Oh God, I say, well done, you got that. I mean, <laughs> me. Would you know because of so many people don't make it. Um, over 50, Three I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, I would say, golly, it's so, it's so difficult not speaking cliches, but this is how I think about my life, is health, 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 health. You know, I got asthma after COVID and I've never realised what people deal with when you literally think, actually, I can't run over there. If they say, come now, I can't actually get there now because I've got to think, God, I can't breathe. Um, we take it so much for granted. Healthy people take health so much for granted. So I would say, really take care of your health. Really do everything. And I've done so much research into this. I live in London where food, fresh food, is so difficult to get hold of. It's so expensive. Um, you know, try not to eat processed food. I really, really mean this. You know, talking about all the dementia um oh gosh i've done so many interviews about dementia and there's so much research into what we eat what we've done why is there so much dementia around my mother's um carer main carer is called happiness and she's nigerian imagine being called yeah. happiness care yeah. home. How, 
I mean, she's amazing, this girl. And she said to me, we don't have dementia in Nigeria. And I said, well, you must do. And she, I said, is it because you would never, ever allow your family to go into a home? And she said, no, there are no homes. They live at home. And I said, but they must, you know, they read, my mum's 99. Her brain is almost out. And she went, no, we seriously don't have it. And she said, it's, you know, what you will do to yourselves, all your stress, all of your processed food. And, and I just thought, and pollution. And I thought, maybe that's, I don't know. But it set me thinking that for how many years I've got left, I'm obsessed with living a healthy life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting about you saying the pollution because I'm living in Bristol at the moment and I've kind of came to London because that's where my kids are. And I could actually feel the pollution in the air. And I just think I couldn't wait to get back to Bristol. And Bristol is a very new city for me. But it was like, yeah, you could actually feel the difference. And I totally agree with the processed foods as well, because we eat too much. And in fact, I'm going down that route where I'm looking at my food I'm looking at my diet I'm looking at my exercise regime you know I'm doing boxing and pilates and and I just think and I just think you know I need to keep fit because my father had so many ailments and I don't want to go down that path um and I know about dementia because my mom my mother had vascular dementia at the end um but you know there's so you have to do as much as you can to take care of yourself. And you feel great then. You know, when you're boxing, I must start boxing. I really want to um, get my arms sorted out. But, I, you know, you feel great. So mm-hmm. it's no longer, you know, sacrifice. When yeah. you're buzzing on all sides, you look forward to all of that. You look forward to healthy food and you look forward to exercise. And, you know, it takes a while to get that far because, it, yeah. you know, I swim every morning and get Weather, it's so cold, I just say, oh, God. But once I'm there, I love it. When I come back, I think, right, on with life, get out yeah. there. And knowledge is power, Kerry. We've never been given so much information on health. Yeah. So much. God's sake, five a day is patronisingly written on every single thing we buy. You Absolutely. know, we've been given all this. So, you know, we Apply must... it. Yes. Exactly. Apply it. What other two tips would you give to um, the listeners if they're over 50? If they're over 50, um, I would say, okay, if you're in a toxic relationship, get the hell out. I have so many people call me um, on my show who either go down the end of the garden to call me and tell me about anonymously, you know, what they're going through. Through the pandemic, it was extraordinary. Through the pandemic, I did the radio show from this flat because they closed the BBC. So I was broadcasting from this flat. And there were so many people that would call up and say, um, well, they didn't, that's a lie, they didn't call up, they emailed to say, um, I can't, my affair is all over. I can't see the person I was having an affair with because I'm stuck in the house with the kids and my partner and I can't even get to the phone to tell them. And, and I was like, oh my God, so many people are living these lives, double lives and living a compromise. And I would just say, if you're in a toxic relationship, not even toxic, if you're in a relationship that doesn't suit you, get out, you know, don't be scared. Sometimes you just think, I can't go it alone. I can't go it alone. Well, you can. Look at you and I. Look at you yeah. and I. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, 52. I was told by my ex-husband's lawyer, what are you doing leaving a relationship at 52? And I thought, I'm doing what I need to do. Look at you. Look at you. You don't look 52. You see, that's the attitude. 
people who are so scared at 50 yeah. to take that leap oh yeah. you'll be reborn i'm telling yeah. you so don't stay for the kids don't stay for them don't stay for your parents get out if you don't yeah. like it you will have a better life you will have a better life and my last one would be um again probably sleep get get as much sleep as you can because when I was doing five late night shows a week oh my gosh everything that's when I got asthma that's when I was starting up to feel I was going around the bend sleep so important um and underrated under and that takes us back to dementia you know they were saying we're all sleep deprived um, and we were given through the yeah. pandemic, forgive me, flippant, we were given a, the chance to rest, yeah. you know, and it was for many people an opportunity to just rest. Yeah. Because if you walk up the streets, I always think when I'm in my car and people are crossing in front of me at zebra crossings, they look exhausted, most people. <laughs> I just think sleep, try to sleep, you know, have a good eight hours at night. Absolutely. Wonderful words from a wonderful person. It's been a phenomenal interview. And thank you for the compliment earlier on. Um, and um, thanks for being on here. I Honestly, Kieran, I, it's, I, I've, I've got emotional twice in this because you've asked me things and I've said things I have never, ever said before, ever. Um, I think you're really good at your job. And I, if I can help you with your YouTube channel or whatever, seriously, let me know. Seriously. Oh my God, that's such a compliment. You know, I'm a total, total novice. But what can I teach <laughs> Teach you anything. But you know, if there's anything like anything to do with editing or anything, but you can do it all, so you'll be fine. Fabulous. Thank you, Joe, for the offer, for being on here and, and for the enormous compliment, really. Thank you. I'm going to go now because I have an awful feeling my dog has chewed through my Jimmy Chews. <laughs> Thank you for listening to You're Not Invisible After 50 podcast. If you want to hear more from some amazing women who are over 50, who are kicking ass and making impact, then don't forget to follow us right here on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember to subscribe, rate, comment and share with other women through your social media. Let's spread the word across the world that you don't have to be invisible after 50. Check out our other services on www.you'renotinvisibleafter50.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok and YouTube. And always remember that life doesn't end at 50. In fact, it's just beginning. But wait, we have even more to offer. Join us and tune in to our other podcast, Shamelessly Untamed, a transformative series that encourages you to embrace your true self and celebrate your uniqueness. We look forward to you connecting with us. Thank you.